Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and today we are talking with the gentleman down at the end of the table, Seti Warren. He is the former mayor of Newton, Massachusetts, and one of three Democrats seeking their party's nomination for governor, hoping to take on Charlie Baker this fall. Seti Warren, thank you for being here. Great to be with you. Joining me to talk with Seti Warren about his candidacy and his vision for the state are Yawu Miller. He's a senior editor from the Bay State Banner. Yawu, good to see you as always. Good to see you, Adam. And my WGBH News colleague, Peter Kadzis, also a senior editor. Peter, <laughs> uh, the pleasure is mine, obviously. Glad to be here. So without further ado, Seti Warren, let me ask you at the outset, what differentiates you from the other two candidates that yeah. we have talked to in the past few weeks, Jay Gonzalez yeah. and Bob Massey, when it comes to not just your experience, but your vision for the state, yeah. how you'd engage the legislature, and how you would engage the Trump administration? I think there are two qualities that are incredibly important right now for the Democratic nominee and certainly the governor. First, I'm a lifelong public servant. I've been working for the public for the majority of my professional life. Worked in the Clinton administration four years, White House staffer, Office of Cabinet Affairs. I ran FEMA for New England, appointed by President Clinton. Worked for Senator Kerry for four years. One of my responsibilities was point person for small business and economic development. And a third generation combat vet. I think that's important to have someone who has had the experience in working for the public or people of the United States, people of the state for the majority of my life. The second, I'm the only candidate that's been elected to be a chief executive in public life. I've been the mayor of Newton for eight years. Uh, we're building five new schools in the next six years. We've eliminated the $40 million structural deficit. We grew a rainy day fund. All of my budgets were based on outcomes for people. And I wasn't afraid to raise revenue at the city level. But look, we got to do this at the state level. We got to tell the truth about making investments in things that matter. I've done that as a chief executive. You put a bunch of crucial issues on the table. So let me ask, Yabo, what are you thinking? Okay, so you raised revenue in, at the Newton level. Yep. At the state level, there are a lot, perhaps a lot more levers to pull to make that actually happen. Former Governor Deval Patrick pushed forward a revenue reform yep. package that would yep. have raised revenue and yep. would have you know, increased taxes as well in some areas. Yep hit a brick wall with the legislature. Um, what could you do differently? Yeah. Well, look, first of all, you know, I believe in uh, the fair share tax amendment or millionaire's tax. It's important because it will make the kind of generational investments we need in education and transportation, two areas that I know would level the playing field uh, for people. But look, I also believe we have to be honest. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm not afraid to challenge my own party in this regard. A couple weeks ago, Charlie Baker presented the state of the state. A lot of folks got up there and cheered in that chamber. Uh, the next day, we find out the budget isn't balanced. Charlie Baker tries to remove 140,000 people off of Mass Health. I said uh, that night that Charlie Baker is wrong in his repeated mantra, no new revenue. Speaker DeLeo says it, I say the same thing. They both say the same thing about no new revenue. I believe it's wrong. I mean, we have a crisis in education. Chapter 70 right now is underfunded. There are districts all across the state of Massachusetts that are laying people off at this moment because we need to scrap that Chapter 70 formula, make sure we're fully funding K through 12. I would also add after-school enrichment to public education, uh, summer enrichment to uh, uh, public education, early childhood to public education, and lifelong free public college. Uh, free tuition for public higher ed. Yep. Setting aside K through 12, what would be the price tag just on that? Well, look, right now, people are being crushed by student debt. Um, what I'm going to do is 
look at what it would really mean to make sure we prepare our people in the form of free public education. We'll examine it, and then we're going to drive towards that solution. I'm going to ask folks that are doing really well in this economy to contribute to pay for that. Well, what kind of, what kind of uh, contribution? We're going, to look at, we're going to look at those numbers. Look, Donald Trump just gave a huge tax cut to people with uh, extreme wealth, multinational corporations, just now, just, just passed, just now. We've got to ask those folks that are doing really well to contribute more. So we'll drive towards those outcomes just like we did in Newton, and we're going to be transparent about it. I get the feeling, talking now to you, the third of the Democrats running, all of you, but I'm asking only you, in your heart of hearts, really sees a need for a tax increase over and above the millionaire's tax, but for perhaps sound political reasons, don't want to talk about it. I do want to talk about it. I mean, okay. I, 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 but th beyond the millionaire's this is, tax. There, there are some real differences here between me and Charlie Baker when it comes to these issues. We have the worst commuter rail system in the country. The data just came out. Charlie Baker's answer is privatization and no new revenue. Keolis is a private vendor that's running commuter rail. This is what it's brought us. The Baker administration says we're making improvements you can't see in public transportation. I'm not sure what that means. The Baker administration says it's going to take us 20 years to fix public transportation in the state. My answer is if it's going to take you 20 years to get there, get out of the way, let someone else get in there, be honest about the fact we've got to ask people who are doing really well in this economy to contribute more so that we not only upgrade MBTA and commuter rail, we need to expand. We have not existing public transportation in many parts of this state. Um, I was out in Leiden, and no broadband, no public transportation. The regional uh, Pioneer Transit Authority is being gutted. People can't get to where they need to go. Kids are not getting what they need because Chapter 70 is not fully funded. I will be very clear, and I have been very clear. Yes, above and beyond millionaire's tax, we're going to ask folks who are doing really well to contribute more. That is a huge difference between me and Charlie Baker. He's not willing to do that, so and it's you, wrong. So you are open to the possibility of the need for new taxes? Yes, absolutely. Great. Sounds like Positively. More than open. So, I mean, I, but how do you make that happen? I mean, right now, uh, we, would you have to amend the state constitution, for example, so that the income tax could be progressive as opposed to flat? Look, we should put all the options on the table. You know, one of the areas that I'm really concerned about is the opioid epidemic right now. You know, at this moment, over 6,000 people have died of opioid addiction in our state since 2014 when Deval Patrick declared a state of emergency. Over five people a day are dying of opioid addiction a day. This is at a cost of $10 billion annually to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in criminal justice costs and health care costs. I was in New Bedford a few weeks ago. A doctor got up, a woman got up. She said, we are not treating this as the epidemic it is. We need additional resources. We need it now. I'm hearing we don't have enough beds here in the state of Massachusetts. I'm hearing when people get into detox, the stay isn't long enough, sometimes stays. I'm hearing we don't, when people get out of detox, there's nothing there. We need to make these investments. This is an epidemic that's real. And this is the difference between me and Charlie Baker. I believe we need to ask people for additional revenue who are doing really well in this economy so that we can invest in treatment. Uh, Yabu Miller, you're up next. I think it's one thing to make the case to you know, your wealthy neighbors in Newton that they need to invest more in schools. Um, how do you make that same case uh, on behalf of the Commonwealth? Like, we need to invest more in public transit. We need to invest more in education to communities in Western Massachusetts, for instance, 
Longmeadow or uh, sure. Cummington who yeah. say, like, we don't have public transportation, we don't need public transportation, yeah. why should we subsidize that yeah. in the Boston area? Yeah. How it's, do you make that it's case? Great, it's a great question. Look, in many ways, you know, Massachusetts is on a roll. It's on a roll because of its people, the innovation, the intellect, all the rest. Where we are failing is state government. And because state government is failing and not asking folks who are doing better in this economy to invest more, we put that economic growth at risk and we also increase economic inequality. If we're not investing in ourselves, if we're not investing in quality public K through 12, after school, summer, free public college, we're not getting our people ready to participate in a workforce that is in the 21st century. If we're not investing in good, solid transit. You know, everyone knows about this Amazon proposal, right? 26 communities proposed to have Amazon in their community, and they propose giving away a lot of tax revenue to do that through tax exemptions. Charlie Baker's answer to this, to the 26 communities, was go for it, God bless them. That is not an economic development strategy for the state of Massachusetts. My proposal was to have Amazon come to Worcester and ask them to help us build East-West Rail, East-West Rail to Western Massachusetts. I believe this would deal with a few challenges we have, spiraling housing prices in around the greater Boston area, lack of transportation. we got to do it East-West Rail either way so that everyone could benefit from getting to Amazon, and would also grow higher paying jobs where people live. There's a whole area in Western Massachusetts that need access to higher paying jobs closer to where they live. This is the kind of thinking uh, we need to have in the governor's office that not only increases the capacity for our economy to grow, but grow evenly and in different parts of the state. Yabu Miller, does that answer your question? How do you make, <laughs> how do you make that case to the legislature? You've got a Speaker of the House, Robert DeLeo, who's over the last 10, 12 years consistently yeah. said there's no appetite for new taxes in Massachusetts. Yeah, and I obviously, as I said, I disagree with Governor Baker on no new revenue. I vehemently disagree with the Speaker of the House, and I've, I've said that publicly, and I you know, gave him a call. Look, we have to engage the residents of our Commonwealth around what's at stake in our future. Because that's what I'm hearing all over the state right now. Concerns about schools, concerns about kids, concerns about transportation, concerns about this opiate addiction epidemic that we have and doing something about it. I'd like to get honest and candid about Amazon today. I love your idea about Worcester, but that's not on the table at the moment. With, with the, a Boston-Somerville combo, should Massachusetts maybe say, no, we don't want Amazon here. We would have wanted Amazon in Worcester, but it doesn't make sense to put Amazon here now because it's too destabilizing. I wouldn't be in the bucket of responses saying no. Where I am right now is we need to make the investments that will level the playing field in and around the greater Boston area and beyond for people who are not a part of this innovation economy right now. Half of the income level in Boston is $35,000 yeah. a year. Mayor Walsh, a couple weeks ago, just said we were in a, he was in an education crisis, criticized the governor's budget because of lack of funding in the Boston public schools. We're not meeting the needs of children in Boston. This is why I call for redoing the Chapter 70 formula. And being, the reason why Governor Baker doesn't want to take action on that is because he doesn't want to raise revenue. It's going to cost more money. And, and adding, as I said, the supports needed. Uh, in addition to that, housing. You know, we have inadequate housing and affordability. We need to build. We need some zoning changes. Um, and I always, when I think about housing and, and transportation, I think about them linked together. Can't talk about them yeah. separately, right? We need to add subsidies for housing. 
federal government is abdicating its responsibility on community development block grants to fund additional afford, affordable housing, and we need a transit system. You know, I said we're putting our economy at risk because we're not investing in good public transportation. We have the worst commuter rail system in the country. You add Amazon to that formula without making these investments, then you have a really serious uh, uh, crisis here. I want to remind everyone who's watching on Facebook and maybe listening in the Newsfeed Cafe here at the BPL that you are watching and listening to a live taping of the Scrum, WGBH News's political podcast. We're talking with Seti Warren, who wants to be governor of Massachusetts. Seti, you have, I think, made a really compelling case for uh, the need for new investment in a whole bunch of different areas, opioid treatment, public higher education, transportation. How much money are you talking about on an annual basis? How much more money does Massachusetts need to do the kind of things you so think the first need to be thing, done? I, here's how I think about this. One, the first thing we have to do is be honest and transparent about budgeting on Beacon Hill. We are not. I sent a letter to Governor Baker last year for something called a level service maintenance budget. Yeah, I remember that. Right? All this is, it's very simple. Put out the number. What is that number? How much does it cost to pay for what we're doing right now? The second thing I asked for was let's be honest about how we're deriving the projections for tax revenue. Third thing I asked for was five-year tax uh, revenue projections. Governor Baker did not respond, I believe, because he knows what I know. We're not taking in enough revenue to pay for what we're doing right now. We need to be honest about those revenue projections. So you don't have an estimate right now. You can't say, I think we need $4 billion more a year than, than we have to make the investments I want to make, or $5 billion, or, or Here's what billion. I can say. We're not taking in enough money to pay for what we're doing. We're not being transparent about it. And what I can say, and what I know, is that we need additional revenue to pay for the things that I'm talking about in order to improve the quality of life uh, here in the Commonwealth and not put our economy at risk and make sure we address economic inequality. The three points that SETI puts on the table about what we need to move forward is really something that over the last three or four years I've had a number of people on Beacon Hill say we need to stop what I call a sort of casino mentality on Beacon Hill, but no one wants to touch it. You're talking about money. budgeting techniques. Uh, the budgeting techniques, that's like the dirty little secret on Beacon Hill. It Everyone is. who know, works with the budget knows it's true, and no one wants Look, to say it. Last year. Standard & Poor's downgraded the bond rating of the state of Massachusetts for the first time in 30 years. And they cited in that report, I quote, this is not from the report, this isn't me talking, the games and gimmicks being played by this governor to keep the budgets afloat. I mean, this is all in the Standard & Poor's report. We've got to be honest about revenue, we've got to be honest about the process, and we have to be transparent about it. That's not there right now. Certainly not with this governor. I mean, isn't there a political price for that, though, when you come out front saying we need to raise more revenue. Massachusetts, when you were probably a young child, was called Taxachusetts. <laughs> I take um, that as a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I I'm mean, a young guy. People take these no new taxes pledges for a reason. You know, it's yeah, politically expedient. Sure. You seem I mean, to be sort of sailing straight into the wind on this. Well, look, we, we got to sail straight into the truth, right? Look where that's got us. Crumbling roads, uh, accelerated bridge program that stalled out. We got dangerous bridges falling down. Worst commuter rail system in the country. It has been Baker's failure in public transportation. You have teachers being laid off across the Commonwealth. We have to be honest about revenue. And the, the bill of goods that was sold to us in the 1980s, somehow, if we just get government out of the way, just make it small, 
and give huge tax cuts to the wealthiest people. It's going to trickle down. Everyone magically is going to, going to bootstrap their way. It's, 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 it's not true. Let's be honest about what it's going to take. A couple more questions have come in from Facebook that are, I think, quite good. I want to run them by you. Again, answer quickly, and then we'll get back to this convo. Terry Lynn asks, Seti Warren, how will you get towns like Newton to share the burden of providing affordable housing for the region? What did you do about this as mayor? So one of the things in Newton that, that is tough, and it's tough to build affordable housing in Newton, uh, I learned some lessons early on about uh, how we build, what we do, um, and two things I came from it. One, we need a proactive strategy that Newton never had. So we identified 90 places where we could build affordable housing, policy changes like allowing people by right, not through the city council, to add accessory apartments. We got that passed. In the four years since I put the housing strategy together, we passed two major developments, two of which are in Newtonville, one of which is providing 33% affordability um, in that housing project to 80 or 90 units. Statewide, what do we need to do? Right now, 351 cities and towns have their own plan or lack thereof around housing. We need to create regional strategies that are attached to transportation. I support the zoning legislation in Beacon Hill that would actually make it legal by right to, to uh, add accessory departments. I support the legislation on Beacon Hill that would require developers to build a certain percentage of affordable housing. We have that in Newton. Second, we got to subsidize uh, affordability. We're going to need to make sure we're subsidizing uh, building units with an eye towards home ownership as well through people who rent. And third, as I said, we've got to connect transportation with housing. We know, as we said, this is a driver of economic inequality. People not being able to put a roof over their head and people spending way too much money, over 30% on rent or mortgage. This is crushing people. It's going to take asking people who are doing really well in this, this economy to contribute more so we can invest in those subsidies, we can invest in transportation systems that are attached to housing. Another question from Facebook that I don't think we've uh, touched on yet. Ryan asks you, Seti Warren, I'm about to be 26 and off my parents' health care. Costs of health care are high. How do we make it affordable in Massachusetts again? So I believe very strongly in creating a single-payer system. I wanted to tell you how I define it, because a lot of people define it different ways. Four principles that are very important to me. One, our health care uh, system needs to be based on health outcomes for people. Two, it needs to be accessible no matter where you live. Three, it needs to be affordable. Four, we need to make sure we have the right kind of coverage, because just because you have insurance, doesn't mean you have the right kind of coverage. We can reduce costs without making it more expensive for people to afford health care. And like jacking up co-pays, uh, making it, the deductibles untenable, but reducing costs through administrative costs and prescription drug costs. Those are the two biggest cost drivers. The answers aren't coming from the federal government. They're coming from state and local governments. We can do it here better than anyone else in the country. We've got to drive towards it now. I want to talk for a minute. This is less a question than asking you to reflect on something. And I'm talking about political endorsements. Um, I happen to be someone who thinks they matter. Not everyone does. And you, for example, have received the endorsement of Mike Dukakis, former governor, which to those of us of a certain age is, a, uh, I would think, a real badge of honor. Um, you've recently endorsed Boston City Councilor uh, Presley, who is challenging uh, long-term incumbent Congressman Mike Capuano. Why are you endorsing her? There are no discernible policy differences. Could you just talk a little bit about that? I'd be happy to. Look, 
You know, one of the great things about Massachusetts is that we have a proliferation of really qualified, terrific Democrats that are in office, run for public office. Uh, Mike Capuano is a terrific guy, and, and I like him an awful lot. But I believe when a woman like Ayanna Presley comes along with intellect, passion for public service, remarkable life story, this is a moment where I believe Ayanna Presley should be in the United States House of Representatives and should be representing our delegation because of those qualities. Just a, a quick follow-up. Sure. Um, in, in practical terms, how about the seniority we lose if Congressman Capuano were not reelected? When I think about this question, I often think about my grandfather who came home from World War II, he was in the Battle of Bulge, came home to, de uh, to segregation, segregated bathrooms, movie theaters. When I came home from the war in Iraq in the fall of 2008, I came home to the election of the first black president. I believe, and my family has always had this belief, and they taught me this, that. I shouldn't have to ask for permission to lead. I believe we're at a moment in our country's history, in our Commonwealth's history, when we have to look at what's next. What's happening next after this election of President Trump, after the election of Barack Obama, after the election of Deval Patrick, after the, the, the election of people like Yvonne Spicer, uh, first African-American woman to win mayor, uh, the uh, selection of Andrea Campbell, first uh, city councilor, black city councilor. What comes next? This is a generational moment where I believe we should be supporting candidates of color who are smart, are willing to put themselves in public service, have the kind of remarkable stories that would actually enhance a place like the House of Representatives and our state delegation. Um, I believe that this is one of those moments. I think Yabu Miller gets to ask the last question here. We've got about four and a half minutes left. Okay. Um, you're talking about electing Barack Obama and uh, Ayanna Presley, um, yourself running as a candidate of color. There are portions of the state that voted for Donald Trump. There are precincts in the city that turned out heavily for Donald Trump um, in that election. Why do you think that is, and how would you reach out to those voters? Here's what I know. Uh, we have to, as a society, um, I believe as a public figure, push back against any policy that hurts people, sexist, racist, bigoted, say no to all those things. At the same time, there are people that voted for Donald Trump that didn't vote for him for those reasons. I went up to a town called Wichita, Massachusetts in the beginning of last year. And I went up there because it was profiled in the Boston Globe. It was one of the towns that went for Donald Trump. And it profiled a guy named Jesse and his girlfriend, Rebecca. I went up there to visit to have a conversation. And I sat down with Jesse at, at the counter and I said, why'd you vote for Donald Trump? He said, it's really simple. 1982, when I left, joined the Navy, manufacturing, Levi's plant here, people were working. I came back two years ago. There's an opioid dent down the street. People are buying groceries from CVS because they can't afford a car to drive over to Market Basket the next time over to get groceries. He goes, you know why I voted for Donald Trump? It's not working. So we had an amazing conversation. And I said to him, look, I believe in single-payer health care. I believe we need people to contribute more to pay for education, free public college, K through 12, transportation. He said, you know what? You believe in those things? I like you. You're my kind of guy. Now, look, I visited with him twice. Yeah, I came back just to make sure, just to make sure he was still with me after I announced. I visited last, last fall. I said the same thing. And by the way, two weeks after that visit, I was down in Dudley Square in Roxbury in front of a group, 70, 80 people of color. They started talking about all the things that they were facing. They almost sounded like Jesse and his girlfriend. I said, you know what, folks? You ever heard of a town called Wichita? And I told the story. 
We have got to find a way to work together. This issue of economic inequality has no boundary. It's no race. Wherever you live across the state, we gotta be honest in addressing it, and we've gotta work together, and we can work together. If we're willing to tell the truth about asking people to pay more, not buying into no new taxes, all these slogans, and invest in ourselves, level the playing field, this is a generational moment. That's the way I see it. Peter Kansas, I was wrong. We've got a minute and 40 seconds about for you to sneak in one more quick question. Well, a, quick a question I've asked everyone else. How are you different now that you've been out campaigning for governor? You know, every time I go out, when I hear from people who have lost people, for example, of, of their children of opioid addiction, when I hear from parents that can't afford daycare or can't afford after school, and when I hear from people that just can't get to where they need to go, they live in public housing, public transportation, it really energizes me, and it, it tells me we're at a moment in our country's history, in our state's history, where we got to just, just not be afraid to tell the truth about some of these complicated questions and say what I've been saying, asking those that contribute more who are doing well, and look them in the eye and, and be honest with them. Seti Warren, we have to leave it there. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. Seti Warren is one of three Democrats seeking their party's nomination and hoping to become governor of Massachusetts. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching on Facebook Live. And Peter Kedzis and Yahoo Miller, thank you for joining me to chat with Seti. Good to be here. That's going to do it for so this edition of The Scrum. You can find an audio uh, edit of this conversation in a couple days at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. Uh, please listen to our previous conversations with Jay Gonzalez and Bob Massey if you have a chance. And subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Adam Riley, and The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.